You're listening to Five Things with Lisa Birnbach. Hi, it's Lisa Birnbach. And you know how every week I give you the five things that make my life better? Do you know that some weeks it's really, really hard to come up with five? Some weeks it's hard to come up with three, let alone six or 15 or something per week. Week we're talking about. This week, however, good things happened or I felt good about things and I felt a kind of renewed spirit of hope and it was easy to write and I hope you'll enjoy them. And don't forget, this is a community we have. So if you have things that make your life better, please write them to me and send them to lisabernbach.com so we can have a conversation. Okay, without further ado, here they are. Number one, photo booth picture strips. I can't believe I never talked about these in 72 weeks or whatever it is. Who's counting? 73. Photo booth strips. I love them. I don't like having my picture taken, but when I sit in a booth, I feel sort of like I'm in control. And the stupid faces that I will see when the strip comes out of the box are my stupid faces that I made intentionally to look silly. I love them. I always have. And just one note, when I used to be on book tours throughout the country, there was a photo booth in the basement of the IDS Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, in the mall where Mary Tyler Moore, Mary Richards, used to take the escalator in the second part of the series. And first of all, just the homage to Mary was important. But secondly, that there is a photo booth there. Anyway, I love those. Number two. Papermate mechanical pencils. If you knew how many times I crossed out appointments or drew arrows in my date book, yes, I use a date book. Make fun of me now. I'll just wait. Okay. You would know that writing my appointments in pencil made much more sense, but I can't carry a loose pencil in my purse. The point would break. Carrying a pencil sharpener is kind of a commitment to lugging that I don't have. So obviously, a mechanical pencil is the answer. The Papermate ones are yellow plastic. They sort of look like a regular pencil. And I have a lot of erasures, but you can't see those at the end. Number three, there is a new show on Broadway called American Utopia. It was written by and stars David Byrne. Now, Is it a concert? Is it a play? It's a con play. It's a play cert. I don't know. It's a breath mint. It's a candy mint. It's so good. And if you love David Byrne or the Talking Heads, his band, as much as I do, you will love it. There is something so sturdy about it, so American about it. Though he he says that he was born in Scotland, which I didn't know and naturalized as a child, the musicians dance, the dancers sing, the percussionists dance and sing. It's just joy, especially if you're an OK Boomer. Number four, Ambassador Marie Yovanovitch, the model of a civil servant. Her modesty, straightforwardness, decades of experience in statecraft, her poise, her willingness to participate in this moment where our democracy hinges on the truth and nothing but the truth. I have nothing but respect for her. Similarly, number five, Ambassador Bill Taylor, 
a former ambassador to the Ukraine, also a model of decorum and trustworthiness. As my friend Mickey says, he offered no snark, was not threatened, and behaved like a diplomat. It's Americans like these who embody patriotism. Simply put, these career State Department officers are humble and brave, and we thank them. Next up, my guest, Annabelle Gerwich, who I first noticed on air in the 1990s as co-host of a TV franchise called Dinner and a Movie, where she and a guy pretended to be a married couple cooking while they were watching a movie. I liked her at first because she seemed like me. Uh, What do I mean by that? Normal. What do I mean by that? Well, brunette and wearing glasses. This was a long time before Liz Lemon. When I read that she wrote humorous essays, I bought them. And we happened to meet several weeks ago at a storytelling session. And I find her not only hilarious, but brilliant. We'll be right back with Annabelle Gerwich. When I saw a book in a bookstore a few years ago that had a pair of big pink, large, big and large. Granny panties. Granny panties on the cover, along with the title, I See You Made an Effort. I had to buy it. Then when I saw that Annabelle Gerwich wrote it, I had to buy it because I had been a fan of Annabelle or Annabelle's apostrophe S from the time she co-hosted Dinner and a Movie on (laughs) TBS, which was just the most clever way of packaging rerun movies ever. It was a boondoggle that TBS came up with. Uh, Hi, Lisa. Hi, Annabelle. Hi. Nice to see you. Good to see you. Just going to jump right in. So it was this boondoggle of like, how can we repackage movies? And, you know, we weren't, my co-host and I, Paul Gilmartin, weren't the first people to do this, but we were... I feel like innovators in the co-hosts who really disliked each other genre. Oeuvre. <laughs> it, it's and, an oeuvre. And um, we disliked each other actively so much on the show that people thought we were married because it, we so captured the ethos. Hostility. Hostility, yeah. contempt of <laughs> marriage. Uh, uh, and um, and it, was a, it was a joy and a trauma to do the show all those years in that kind of way like you know how you love well I do peeling a sunburn oh uh, it's like you just peel or a know, hangnail was, or a hangnail it was that kind of pleasure so while some people hate watch TV you actually mm-hmm. hate performed we hate performed together that yeah. is beautiful it was beautiful and and it got to the point where we were so co- codependent in our hate of each other that we did things like we gave up deodorant together <laughs> Like, just like weird shit. Marriage stuff. Just just to piss the other one off. Yes. And then, I mean, it was really, it was really like, he is one of my favorite husbands because I've had a few. How long did that dysfunctional marriage last? It was like seven years, like six. We just, it just went on. Oh, so you really grew to really hate one another. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I mean, I mean, like specifically, like we had really big bones to pick. But at the same time, like, you know, I would like pull out an ear hair of his because like I had like an ownership over his body because you know what I mean like we yeah. spent so many hours together so intimate yeah so um so I I can't wait to talk about the things that make me happy because I I just want to say I'm not a person who's I've always rejected happy I'm like anti it's not your thing it's happiness is not my thing 
But as I've gotten older, I find that I actually, it's less attractive to be miserable. It's really the misery is for mm-hmm. the kids. It is. I feel it that is. the kids um, of of the generation of our mm-hmm. uh, spawn right. are being miserable for us. They are taking oh, it yes. for on the chin. They're oh, I love do, that. they're they're playing uh-huh. for the designated miserable one. Well, now, they are. Look, you have a child in college. I have a child technically in college, and. The misery of their lives is one that I would so happily run and and take over for them. I would I assume the misery I of know. a college I would. student. I would. I would so love to just sit in a classroom well, and write a paper. Of the kinds of miseries they have versus the kinds of miseries I have, I would choose their miseries any day. And I just want to make it clear that I am not giving up my opinions. You know, like there's misery, there's an existential misery that I feel as one ages, one has to sort of put aside because it's just so obvious. Right. I mean, it's like, sure, we get it already. Yeah, that so was I, first grade. Right. In yeah. a way, it's the more radical thing to do to sort of move towards happiness. But that doesn't mean, I mean, for me, like my, I, um, there's, you know, all sorts of uh, philosophies that one embraces. And I still, I'm sticking to, um, you know, the, uh, the, the, the philosophy set out by the Ramones, which was when I heard the song, I'm against it. I felt like <laughs> this is who I am. And it stuck with me for, I mean, not just, you know, I'm against uh, um, uh, capitalism. I'm against religion. I'm against uh, pistachio nut milk, which is one nut milk too far for me. No, I'm just against it. You name it, it I'm against it. And this is something. and, and Which is I different sh- than misery and no, happiness. No. It's just against is active. Misery is sort of flaccid, if I may use that term. That's very visceral. And also... But but seriously, when you're miserable, you're sort of unable to to do stuff. Right. When you're against it, you have energy. Yes. You're poised to take action. Exactly. And also being against it puts one in league with Susan Sontag. And, you know, what's not great about being in league with Susan Sontag, who I just want to say in my imagination of Susan Sontag, She's always in black and white. Yes. Like, I believe, well, like, and I never met her. I never saw, I was never in the same place as her. But again, she's one of those people who um, I feel uh, is just one of the great intellects of our of our species. She's one of the great achievements of our species, right? There's the croissant. How much, <laughs> how do they manage to fit so much butter into such a small piece of bread? And why has and, that not received a Nobel Peace Prize? I don't know. I mean, there's the they've cro- been robbed, right? There's the croissant, and there's the Susan's- Ramones. There's Susan Sontag, and everything and else. And so is often, kinda, you, you know. don't see the three of them in the same Venn diagram, no, but they not. belong in that. As a matter of fact. Susan Sontag to me is a statue of yes, Susan Sontag, and, 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 and like I just feel like if I had ever seen her in public, she still would have been in, in black, black and white. white. I mean, like like the world is in color, and she's in black and white because she's such an innovative thinker. That's how I. She will always be in 
in in that sort of and actually I mean who doesn't look better in black and white that's true that's true and it should be one thing that I one of my five things that make me happy is is a a black and white shot well is that actually because things are all digital now you can instantly turn any color photo into a black and white you can look like a Dorothea Lang Lang photograph Uh of yourself Uh or a daguerreotype or something I just want to just say I just like how we can I can finish the The, name the the name the thought yes Yes, we can do that and we only met once before I know but I've been stalking you for years oh I had no idea now I want to say that when I read I see you made an effort Compliments and Dignities and Survival Stories from the Edge of 50, which was a New York Times bestseller and is still available, I would like to say that you clung or 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 leapt mm-hmm. to the Ramones early on as not just philosophers mm-hmm. you admired, mm-hmm. but also as a way to stay pale in the beating Florida sun. Yes, I well when they we, were they were in a, they had an aesthetic that you grabbed onto as a youth. That's true. Uh, growing up uh, in Florida, where first of all, every day is a bad hair day for a Jewish girl. Jews weren't really meant for living below the Mason-Dixon no. line. But, uh, you know, that it was, again, it was that I mean, I really didn't even understand how uh, stupid the Ramones were. And again, <laughs> it's, a, it's a stupidness that's a cultivated stupid. Right. You know, you know and so, um, and it was also stood in contrast to the kind of music that was really popular in my high school. It was like those big, those, I don't want to say big band because it's not big. Like Toto or something? Toto. Boston. Boston. America. <laughs> Everyone was like a city that, you know, little <laughs> river band, these big yes. sounds. These REO. big overproduced sounds. And then suddenly there was this you know, the Ramones and also, you know, I just wanted to do everything that wasn't popular. And actually, I just feel like I I maybe dodged a bullet. I didn't we no one talked about skin cancer. Right. I had spent like year, you know, a couple years, you know, slathering baby oil with that reflecting Reflector. thing, trying to become the color of Cafe Con Leche and uh, it's very, you know, Cubans yes. oriented society. No, I Just think we one, appreciate. Yeah. Thank you. And, um, and thank goodness I found the Ramones because changing over to become I mean I I a life changer life changer for and me. maybe lifesaver and maybe life thank you Joey and then when I moved to New York in 1980 to go to NYU it just so happened that Joey Ramone lived around the corner and I would see him and I never had the nerve to say hello or you anything. actually did you follow him down the street um I would follow him down the street and I believe he was going to visit his mother and cuz he was known for being very close with his mom and I would just see him and I just knew that I was in the right place in New York and also I would see Rick Ocasek in the village too and again I loved the cars and I just I mean in fact when I lived in New York it was five years before I went above 14th Street <laughs> I bet that's true no there was anything above 40 to well, me it was like New York was the space between Canal Street which I didn't know anything was below it uh-huh. and 14th Street amazing and like, right it could have been like, you know, Montana. Well, I mean, you know, right. in the early days of New York, that's why they named that, these buildings the Dakota and stuff. It right. was kind of a it was, That's right. right. It was the forest. But I just never went, ventured, it was like I thought you had to wear hiking gear to go above Well, and, and bring a 
spare change of underwear and uh, and your contact lens oh, case well, because wear underwear back then, Lisa. Oh, Come Annabelle, on. you but are so don't advanced. Even. Oh, don't man. to spare change of <laughs> who wore underwear in the eighties? Well, you wore this. Okay, well, I did. Say, I know you did. I probably wore two at once. Here's the thing: when I saw the preppy handbook, right. I thought it was like about like aliens invasion of the planet. <laughs> I I thought it was a I thought it was a satire. It was. I did not know people yet, but I mean, like, I thought it didn't really exist. I see. I didn't know this was, I, I just was so far out of that world. I was studying experimental avant-garde theater. Well, uh, and the it tw- just... The, the two, Twain does not meet. Right. Between and, experimental theater at NYU and the Preppy Hamburg. Right. It right. was I just understand. like an alien species. I just Well, we were yeah, all north yeah. of 14th Street yes. at the time. So yes. how could you have known? It just was so funny to me. I, I just like I was. I want to just say I was kind of against you. Yes, and everything you stood for. Right. Um, and um, I've let that go as well. Oh, thank you. I've thank you so much. Yeah. Oh, that's so uh-huh. sweet. Yeah, I really thank have. you. Yes. I still can't see you in a plaid kilt, but. You'd look cute in one. I'd never wore a plaid kilt, and and I don't think I ever will wear a plaid mm. kilt. But then again, you well, know, now I, you couldn't if I, we're talking about it because well, it would I don't be know. a thing. I'd, yeah, you're right, but you know, it just I I feel like once you get to be a certain age, like I do feel like this middle age thing is very much like adolescence. Like anything could happen, because I think you get to this point in your life where you realize, like, oh, holy fuck, you know, there are people who are dying amongst. Us. I as this is the demarcation I feel when you are of the age where you know the good cancers from the bad cancers where you this actually speak cancer it. you speak cancer I can speak cancer then I just feel like oh fuck it you know like anything could happen it's sort of like you you have that same thing of adolescence of like god who knows what I could do and at this point I just feel like I don't know yeah yeah it's you all know? a surprise isn't it's it? all a surprise well and a plus certain, the world you know. changes so quickly I mean there was a point at which if you had said to me even after everybody around me had a cell phone that this little thingy in your hand is going to be your lifeline forever you yeah. will panic when it's not within eyesight you will panic if it's not in your hand, you will panic if you haven't Velcroed it to yourself. I know. I would have laughed at well, you. Well, I've always been wrong about these things. You know, um, I I read for the TV show Friends when I was an actress, and I actually went to the taping of the pilot, and I turned to my uh, then-husband, and I said, oh, that'll never last. <laughs> and, I, um, and I was so right. huh? Okay, and then, who did you read for? Uh, I don't. I don't remember. They all seemed the same to yeah. me because I just didn't understand sitcoms. I never really understood sitcoms because they were never morbid enough for me. TV now is so amazing, which is why I have one a TV show on my list of things to make me happy. But I used to, I, and I worked a lot in TV, and I just never understood. It made me very nervous when I worked in, in television. Not dinner and a movie because that was our self-generated material. But when I would do sitcoms, I never got the joke. And because I just didn't have that kind of sense of humor, uh-huh. and it always made me nervous because I would like I'd read over the script with my then husband, who was a comedy writer, and say, "You're you're killing the joke." I'm like, "Where's 
Where's the joke? I just didn't get it. Now it's all changed. I also thought when people started streaming things on their phones, people are never going to watch things on that. I'm just wrong. No, I was wrong about that too. And I don't know why you want to watch it on such a small screen. I I still don't. Is it to squint? Do you need practice squinting? I I I don't. don't. But you know, I I understand now, and and I still I am against it though. I do feel like that the internet. I'm going to sound like a crazy person. I feel like the constant streaming in the internet is the opiate of the masses. I feel like it's very easy to distract us from uninteresting jobs as AI. And I'm not against AI. I just want to say that. But I feel like it's one way to try to, you know, keep us happy as we go about uh, our lives. You don't sound like a crazy person. It sounds a little conspiracy here. Well, I don't don't think so. So I think I come across I have as to a, say it like a slurry. Yeah, right out of the side uh, of your mouth. Uh-huh. I have to be. I have to wave my flag as a fuddy-duddy, as an old mm-hmm. fogey who says that the the cell phone and all its magic is actually not just an opiate, but mm-hmm. kind of hurting society in a very big well, way. Well, we know that. I mean, we, oh, okay. this is actually quantifiable. I mean, it shortens the attention span. It isolates people it isolates when they people. think they're connecting. Right. They're not connecting. You and know, people don't talk to one another face to face. I know. I, I have a thing about that. I mean, I, I, I really link that back to something Henry Miller wrote in Tropic of One of the Tropics. And, uh, you know, I can't remember which one. Cancer, uh, Capricorn, cancer, whatever. Uh, good cancer. <laughs> very good. So, um, so I just remember this line, and I, I need to look it up so I can give its correct provenance, where he's, and, and I, first of all, not really if Henry Miller, not, clap for the Nazis when they marched into right. Paris, not such a fan. Not a Misogynist, fan. blah, 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 but a great e- e- evocative writer when he wrote this thing about how um, you're walking through the city and people are looking down, and I think it was really a comment on the workaday life, and he says, look up, and the spires look up, look up, and I think about that. He didn't know it, but he, what he was writing about was how we are buried now, not in our problems of our life, you know, in, in our devices. And people, as you see, are looking down and we need to look up and, and connect. And I, and I, this is one of the reasons why I've, you know, this time in my life, I'm a writer and I spend a lot of time alone in a room writing or actually in a shared office space I have with other writers. But I, I still love to do theater because theater is one of the few places where we have liminal time, where we are actually instructed and people get and people really do their, you know, insists that you turn your devices off and we are present with one another. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the most human thing we can do. And I believe in it. And I I also, I mean, selfishly, I do do this thing where, I mean, I have to turn my cell phone off all the time because I, otherwise I just can't function. I can't get a, I can't string a thought together. And I, I um, I'm just going to say, this makes me a fuddy-duddy probably, but I am emoji free. I have never once oh, wow. sent an emoji. What I do instead is I'll just write like um, uh, sad face emoji. <laughs> I, I do just, the same thing. I actually I, write I mean, it out. I, I do hashtag sad face. However, I 
I have used a couple. I bet you have, Lisa. Yes. It's hard to remain emotional. Oh, wait. I don't know. Why am I saying that? No, like, it like isn't I, hard to, but no, there's but the one sort of, of the stupid in. face that blows a kiss. That's my go-to. You know what? See, pro- the problem is, is that in order to see your emoji, yeah. I need to have my glasses on. Oh, well, that's and also... I, so mostly when people send emojis, they just look like... Things and they're like colors clutter. and clutter, and they're doing things at me, and I, I, it scares me because it's a lot of like hands and are they praying? First of all, do if you're a friend of mine, you will know. Do not send me praying hands. Hands. I, I am not a. Don't send me your thoughts and prayers. Don't send me good energy. Don't send me karma. What about don't. some light? Do you want some light and love? People send light and love. Uh, you're really testing me because I'm against. I'm not going to send it to you. you so first don't of all, worry. You cannot send light and love. I I <laughs> I mean this is what I I I, I but yet you want to I so I, I want and I want to too. So no, I'll say like I am thinking, thinking of you. I'm thinking of I'm you. Sending with you love, love. And I'm sending you love. I I can. I've sent people but love. People think they actually can send that. Okay. There's intercessory prayers. I'm praying for you. This is, uh, you know, the first, actually the first piece I did as a writer on NPR when I was hired as a commentator is a piece about how when my son, my my child was born, my child is a non-binary person now, so I'm going to be using they, them, theirs. Um, and uh, when they were born uh, and they had all these, this very complicated birth defect, people would kept saying to me they were praying for me and you know i no just that that's not helping um and i appreciate what they wanted to do but that was actually the moment um in an instant at my kid's birth when i gave up god for good that was the changing the final straw the final straw where i'm like from god not doing this Mm -hmm. not doing this god stuff i am accepting i am in a random universe which doesn't and in fact just that has that makes me commit more to humanism and to, to because if there is no god then all we have is each other and and then it behooves us to be even better at being human. Yes. And in fact, you know, some interesting thought about that is if, if 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 you're listening to this and you're not going like, oh, my God, you know, she's she's really out. She's lost me on this. Richard Dawkins has um, the very famous biologist and great thinker um, has had has said some and written really interesting things about how uh, so about the limits of Darwinism in terms of the continuing of the species and how we must actually uh choose as sentient beings to go beyond darwinism in terms of our commitment to each other and in fact the his book the selfish gene is actually he's said it's some interesting things about this that, that he should have called it the unselfish gene because it's really about going beyond our bi- biology to continue the species and uh, I always recommend uh, Dawkins to anyone because he's such a, a brilliant brilliant thinker you know you're making me think about how how community is so important and to me community is almost everything it could be all five great things 
every week Mm -hmm. because without one another, Mm -hmm. we would, of course, we'd be lonely and sad, but, but moreover, we wouldn't develop properly to live together. Well, our future... And our dopamine would be... Right. I mean, this is actually one of the... You know, when you... I I, uh, briefly studied anthropology in my time at NYU uh, under Richard Schechner, who ran the the performance studies department. And the reason we were studying anthropology has to do with understanding ritual and performance and what this does for a community. So the power of theater and how that brings community together. But um, one of the interesting things about that is is that that is why we have it was Homo sapiens' ability. This researchers, I'm not making this up. Uh, that's the distinguishing factor between Homo sapiens and Neanderthals. We had a greater ability to work together, which is how we managed to slaughter <laughs> the Neanderthals. Good work, Homo sapiens. <laughs> yeah, we're such. But but it was actually are working together and, you know, in in a community and then ultimately working together as an agrarian society that has made our dominance and is eventually going to kill off this planet. And happy days are here again, right? <laughs> um, but I, I actually just, just I'm not, I want to just mention, I wrote something recently about my experience in participating. I was the sixth household to participate in a host home program, which is I... Um, opened up my home to house at-risk homeless youth. Wow. And um, In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. And I'm actually adapting this story that I wrote about in the L.A. Times, you can find it in the L.A. Times, into a theater piece, that which I'm calling If You Lived With Me, You'd Be Home By Now. Uh-huh, great. And um, it really is about the way that we, I believe, are being asked to... Uh, challenge our notion of what it means to be a community in order to really cure society's ills right now. We're being asked to say, who do I open my home to? Who do I open the con- my country to? It's really about otherization and 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 who we consider our family and our and our people. So um, yes, five things could all be community. Annabelle, um, whose program? Who sponsored that program? Um, and what? How long did it last? And what prompted uh-huh. you to do it? Well, I hope you will all go to my website because I've written about it. And uh, this particular program is being sponsored in Los Angeles by a, something called a Safe Place for Youth. But these kind of host home programs are being tried out in eleven cities across the country, and. Um, you know, if you have an extra bedroom, you can help solve the rapid rehousing crisis for young people whose lives are so challenged right now and help interrupt this cycle of homelessness. And one of the things this whole experience taught me was, you know, how thin the line is, how quickly you can fall into homelessness. Mm. And actually, the best way to to speak about this is someone experiencing homelessness because we 
tend to think when we say like homeless person, it sounds like a label that belongs to someone forever, you know, and uh, that is a is a is a uh, is like everything as we use that word spectrum. Yes, know? right. And um, so it's just one of my. Uh, uh, unexpected ways of being useful. Um, middle age, middle age surprise. Middle age surprise. Instead Bring of a it middle on. Middle age surprise, baby. <laughs> I had some middle age surprise do gooderism. Wow, that's very impressive. I. It's I, not. Let me tell you. It's. I am not an impressive person. It's just I found this way of being useful. I. I just want to make it clear when I talk about this story. Uh, of you know what I do, I would say um, it has taught me so much about uh, this experience, about my own otherizations, and you know I I learned so much for it, and yet I'm still a judgmental bitch because I just really <laughs> feel it's important to hold on. It's a to dialectic, those intrinsic characteristics yes. that make you who you are. Right, you can be a judgmental bitch, yes. and you can be a bleeding heart liberal mm-hmm. do-gooder this, all at once. That's how I is, describe myself. Yeah, yeah. I'm an acquired taste. <laughs> okay, let's go to your actual mm-hmm. five mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's start with whatever's going to be number one today for you. Okay, so what I you asked me that, and I said I have finally accepted that my car will never be clean. When you're in my car, it's like you're driving around inside my purse. Now, <laughs> this sounds like like what? Why is that something that's going to make you happy? Okay, here's the story. Acceptance, radical acceptance. Radical acceptance. Okay, Okay, number two. Number two is this ring that I am wearing, and... um this ring. It looks like a signet ring. It, it looks, looks like a family crest from afar, but yet, <laughs> but yet, what's on it is a man holding a globe, right? And on the like right, Hercules, like Hercules, and around the sides it says "World Spa Gym Lifetime Member." Okay, <laughs> hello, hello. This ring was my grandmother Frances, is my mother's mother. It was given to her by the Jack LaLanne World Spa Gyms uh, for her 40th year of membership. And it's a gold ring. That's unbelievable. Which is, I, so for so much nicer than a towel or a water bottle. See, yeah, first of all, I just love this for so many reasons. Can you imagine uh, no. a gym giving you a gold ring? No, <laughs> and I love that, and I just, love that it is, I, in fact, your family crest in a way. It is because my family crest. Be- I think of her and it just keeps me going. And also, it just gives me a laugh. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. Come on. It's Jack LaLanne holding the globe. It's so great. It's Jack LaLanne, great. I'm going to have to write an appreciation of him one day. Gotta love that. Gotta love it. Yes. Number three. Yes. Okay. Number three is Matt DeMarco's James Taylor cover of I Was a Fool to Care. So, um, Matt DeMarco is, you know, a super hipster uh, songwriter, musician, indie music guy that I got turned on to through my kid, Ezra, who's 21. Now, when Ezra started listening to Matt DeMarco, it has this sort of underwater quality, sort of warbly quality and this guitar. And when I first heard Matt DeMarco's um, music, I thought, 
thought, is it playing at the wrong speed? <laughs> like, there's something, like, just really off about it. And I, I just didn't like it. So it was sort of like, uh, this is a little disturbing. There's something sort of disturbing about it. Um, and then, you know, I got used to it, and I got kind of into it. And then, okay, I... I love James Taylor. I mean, so much. So much. You know, he's just so great. He's great. And the clear Isabelle voice and the songs and there's just something, <sighs> even in his worst moments, there's, there's a buoyancy about that voice. So the hilarious thing, and I please, if you're listening to this, if you do one thing, Go and watch the video of Matt DeMarco's cover of the James Taylor song. Okay, number four. Number four is, you know, there's people talk about peak television. Right. Uh, the peak of the peak television, in my opinion, is the show. It's a Showtime show, and you can get it on Amazon Prime, or I don't know. You can watch it on your watch, whatever. Yeah. You're in the, um, it's a show starring Kristen Dunst called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. The show is itself about, about Florida. Florida. It's about capitalism. It's about multi-level. It's about the get rich quick. Well, it sounds like scheme. it's about scams. Uh, you see this idea of greed and self-advancement um, at any cost. Wow. Um, it's so original. Um, it's just everything that I could love. It's funny. It's got pathos. Um, it can't recommend it enough. There's so much to see. All right. But I have one more thing on my list. Okay. Okay. So um, Megan Dom, full disclosure, she is a friend. Uh, but uh, I I love her new book. It's called The Problem with Everything. So as you can imagine, for someone who's embraced the Ramones, I'm against it. The problem with anything, <laughs> everything really speaks to me. But it really is a great discursive look uh, at, uh, the, at Megan's journey through the culture wars and Megan is presenting herself as the every person, only an every person with a great critical mind, who encounters these issues that we are all facing in terms of the culture wars that are going on. And there really are culture wars, and you could um, uh, benefit by this hilarious book because it is really funny because Megan's not just writing a polemic that doesn't have humor in it, but you know, the twists and turns you have to go through in order to live in society right now. And I I think she portrays it in a very relatable way, but also really, I mean, these interesting dilemmas, like, for instance, being a female. And, you know, first, uh, she's really speaking to, in, in some sense, like a second wave feminist versus third and fourth wave feminist. I would say I'm probably somewhere in between second and third wave. I was raised by a second wave feminist in the sense of my mother lived a very conventional life like Megan's mother. She's really writing toward to Gen X people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, so let's say my mom, like Megan's mother, I, and she's just written like what I wish I could have articulated. And, you know, when someone writes a book that you say, I wish I could have written that. And that's her book for me. And uh -huh. I feel like a lot of people will feel that way. So she's writing about having been raised by a mother who lived a very conventional life, but told her, told 
Megan, you be a feminist, you know. And then so she's in this third wave. And now we're dealing with fourth wave post-feminism, suicide girl. I mean, it's and and these um, there's a lot of, let's say, intolerance and question about how we navigate in this world and Megan's doing that for us and I I wish I had written this book that's all that's that's always to me the thing the thing that you wish yeah how did they do that how does she wrangle those thoughts and I I think that's part of her talent as a writer Um, if you've if you've read her books uh, I think she always is able to encapsulate things she has just like a a really sharp brain uh that i just uh, she's just one of my favorite writers you've been listening to five things that make life better with me lisa birnbach my guest this week has been actress and author annabelle gerwich you can follow annabelle on her website at annabellegerwich.com or on twitter at Annabelle Gerwitz. Which is That's... spelled wrong because I started it and I spelled it. Oh, it's, I can't even explain it. But it's my name. I spelled my own name wrong and I got stuck with it. Oh, wow. And on Twitter. So and, my name is spelled wrong. So your name is misspelled and you yeah. have the nerve to tell me not to use the finger. Yeah. You can sub- give that the finger. Give Lisa. that the finger. Okay. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play Music, YouTube, and iHeartRadio, or wherever else you can find a podcast. My blog is at lisabernbach.com, where you'll find links and photos, including a picture of Grandma Francis's ring. And this podcast is produced in New York City by TheFieldTV.com. My engineer is Jimmy Regan. My team is Espresso Arucci, Michael Port, Boko Haft, and Sam Haft. Until next week, stay cool and act natural. Bye-bye. That was Five Things with Lisa Bernbach. New episodes every Friday, if she remembers. 